it's our season wrap-up episode. We will talk about the strategy lessons learned from this season, plus the fantasy MVPs of 2021. Ian Kahn of The Athletic joins us next on Beat the Shift. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always is Ruvain Guy. How are you, Ruvain? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? Pretty good. Pretty good. End of the season. Are you uh, you tired? You're glad this is over? That's, uh, you can't wait till next year? What, what's your uh, attitude right now? A little of everything. I like watching the playoffs, watching how these players do now, because they can that can be seen as how they're going to do next year a little bit as well. Maybe you'll see something different now. Um, but I am tired, um, but I do miss setting up the fabs every week. That's something that we'll have to wait until next April to do. Yeah, I felt it on Sunday night when I'm like, wait, I don't have to do anything this week. So uh, it, it definitely hit me then. But uh, uh, let's bring on our guest. Uh, he it, From The Athletic, uh, he does the Under the Radar podcast there. Fantastic show. Welcome to the show once again, Ian Khan. How are you, Ian? Hey, guys. How are you? Ruvain, Ariel, pleasure to be with you. Doing great. Doing great. Doing well. Hey, before we start the show, uh, since it is the end, you know, do you have a, a, a most memorable moment of the baseball season proper this year? That Just uh, throwing that out there. You know, I was thinking about that, and I think for me it's going to be the last game of the season for the Yankees as a Yankee fan. I am a Yankee fan. Born, uh, My dad was born in Washington Heights. I was born, you know, put a Yankee hat on my head in 1972 when I was born. Suffered through the 80s and early 90s uh, when Aaron Judge got that hit against Andrew Kittredge uh, in the last game to get the Yankees into the playoffs, which unfortunately they could not sustain um, in Boston. I would have to say, I think, and, and, and to combine that, if you want to hear the full story, uh, it, we I, I told the story on the Under the Radar podcast. So I'm not going to repeat it here. Um, but that hit by Aaron Judge not only got the Yankees into the playoffs, which was amazing but also was the <laughs> was the deciding hit in a year-long dynasty league uh, where it was coming down to average and it came down to that hit and so I would have to say that that's my most memorable moment of the baseball season oh wow uh, I mean can you imagine if it went the other way that uh he, he gets the hit Yankees win but yet you lose the league can you imagine that one yeah, yeah, I can I, I can imagine that because I, I can think back to last year uh, when it came down to the final day of the season between you and myself in Tab Wars, ah. and Keegan Aiken did not give me the five innings that I needed him to give me to win to win my second back to back championship in Tab Wars. So yes, I I, I felt it then, <laughs> and so I kind of got the bitter last year, and I got a little bit of the sweet this year. Yeah, well, positive for you this year. Uh, you won AL Labor by a record number of points, so congratulations on that. Uh, that's got to be pretty memorable as well, although I think you had that wrapped up, uh, you know, a half to two-thirds of the way into the season, so you weren't you weren't sweating it out the last day. I was sweating the final score because I, I wanted to break the record, and, uh, and so it, it, was, it was a bit of a sweat all the way till, till the end uh, in its own way. So, uh, but thank yeah. you, yeah. Yeah, and it was, uh, it was a good season in AL Labor. I think we're going to talk later about... Um, the successes of the year and what to learn from the failures this year, what to learn from. So we can hold off on, on the rest of that. But yes, that was, that would probably be my, well, no, see, actually I would argue that the Aaron judge hit is more memorable because that was a singular moment 
and a singular, you know what I'm saying? That's the most memorable right. moment right. of the fantasy baseball season. So I think that that's both the same for me. I'm happy and excited to hear what you guys, what, what was most memorable for both of you? Moving? Well, my, I have a few most memorable moments, and it's basically when I got to get to some baseball games today. This year, I mean, this year. I got to see Jacob DeGrom pitch in five of his ten home starts. I got to see Acuna hit home run versus the Mets. I got to see the powerful Blue Jays lineup being stifled by Rich Hill, someone who's actually older than me, which is a really good, fun thing. But just getting back at the ballpark and being able to cheer, being able to cheer, watching the apple go up, cheering with the crowd, being cheering at the same time as a group of people and it was just that was my most memorable moment, just being there and hearing the roar of the crowd yeah and you know what i think i was at that same game as you uh with the rich hill start with uh, against the blue jays and uh that was my most memorable moment i went with my family uh we had a pete alonzo homer that game mcneil came with a pinch hit rbi and i remember just high five and everybody in the crowd it was uh, I, I enjoyed that. My, my wife loves Familia on the team and loves when they bring in Diaz with the with the uh, the trumpets. So it was just a, a fun day at the ballpark. And really, that's that's what baseball is all about. It's about family fun. I, I if I had to pick a memorable memorable fantasy moment uh, in one of the weeks, I was up by about three points to the last game of the week. But I had Joe Musgrove going, and he gave up like seven runs to the Dodgers. I'm like, oh, no, he's going to get the loss. I'm going to lose because the loss is worth negative five. And all of a sudden, down seven, the Dodgers came back. I'm like, oh, my goodness. And the Dodgers tied it up, and, uh, and I didn't even need a win there. A tie was good. That cleared the loss, and I won the, I won the week. So, uh, you know, that, that head-to-head week was pretty fun somewhere in the middle there. Uh, can I add one more memorable moment of the baseball season based yeah. on your guys? I sure. went to opening day for the Yankees this year, and nice. it was back when it was only like 8,000 people in the stands. And so we went to, my wife and my two sons and I went to two games this season, um, both before everything opened up more widely. Uh, so opening day, and that was remarkable because it was the first time it sort of out of the house amongst other people, though it was fully socially distant, felt felt very safe. Um, and then we went one more time and sat. Uh, I bought tickets in like the 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 bar mitzvah section at Yankee Stadium, which is where you can get the you know you have the the buffet downstairs. So I call it the bar mitzvah section. And um, <laughs> and we so we, and I got them for like eighty bucks a ticket, like last minute. It was great. And Phil Nevin of Phil Nevin fame uh, threw a ball to my older son. And uh, I, I said something. I said, hey, Mr. Nevin, congratulations on your son, Tyler, going to Baltimore. So I was trying to I was like, hey, how about a ball for my for my son? And he, he threw it to my son. It was had his glove, caught the ball. And it was a very sweet moment. And I have a lovely picture that I'm looking at right now on my desk of the four of us at that game. So it was, it was really pretty did, special. Yeah. Did, 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 did Phil Nevin tell your son to leave the game early also just to get home quick? No, no, no. Okay. But he did. He did wave it's, him it's, home inappropriately. He didn't wave him home. Okay. I mean, listen. If we're gonna bring up hard times and hard thoughts, uh, I guess it probably uh, is pretty good for you guys um, that Jared Kelnick uh, struggled this year. But if you look what he did over the course of those last six weeks, you got a superstar on your hands, right? Not there. familiar with that player. Anyways, yeah, on no, to <laughs> our. Uh, let's get started with the show on our strategy section tonight. Um, you know, tonight we're doing our season recap, our season wrap-up episode, and we're going to talk about what happened, what we think we can pick out of this past year to help us the next year and all that. Um, I want to start out, throw out a question. On draft day, what do you think is more important, Ian? Is it having a superior knowledge of the players and really knowing, 
or actually knowing how to value players and your auction slash drafting skills? Like, which do you think is more important? Obviously, you have to know both. You have to know the players and you have to know what you're doing. But which do you think actually is more important? I think they're both incredibly important. Um, I know you and I have sort of gone back and forth on this over time. And I've come to your uh, standpoint on the, the need for understanding the value of players. I used it to great effect uh, in AL labor uh, and in other leagues as well. Um, but the ability to scout players and to figure, to, to glean information uh, based on what they're doing over the offseason and even in spring training, I think is also incredibly valuable. Uh, also, the, the ability to, to be looking at what you expect in terms of at-bats and innings pitched for players, like how people are doing and, and the psychology of the managers. So I, I know where you want to go. You want to make it that it's really more important, that almost it doesn't matter what the players are. It just matters what the values are. And I get that. But I also think you're missing out on something if you're not also including. So I'm not going to pick one over the other. I'm going to say a deep understanding of both. I'm just trying to generate some good discussion here. Uh, Ruvain, what, what are your thoughts on this? I agree. It is both, but I think you have to have the better knowledge of the players to have the val- better valuation and to have the better drafting skills because nowadays with so many injuries and so many people getting brought up, sent down, brought up, sent down, if you don't know that you don't have that base of player knowledge of who's the backup, who's going to be next, who's a top prospect and stuff like that, you're not going to be able to draft a decent and a deep team. In order to win these news days, you have to have a very deep team. And if you have a better knowledge of the player pool, the players themselves, you will have a better auction or a draft because you'll have a better knowledge of who to take and when. So um, I, I can't argue that both are not important, uh, but I will say that uh, the valuation skills and the balancing risk and stuff is way undervalued. Um, I think not enough people pay attention to it. I mean, I'm in a fantasy football league, and I don't follow football in the least, but I, know, I created some formula, and I valued the players, and I haven't lost a game yet this season. I've blown out everybody because in some ways, having less knowledge sometimes is a help in the sense of you don't have you don't have any biases. You know, uh, when I go to an auction and there's two guys who are worth $15, I want to say that they're both worth $15. I don't want to say, well, I like this guy better. No, if I'm saying that they're $15, then you should be indifferent to who you take. So Yes, but 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 wait, 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 wait. Hold on. You were all in on Trent Grisham this year. All in coming into the season. He was an undervalued player. I think you had him at like $18 coming into the season. Okay. I was looking at his at at, at Trent Grisham and the way that he did it. And I said, Yeah, he's not gonna do that based on what I thought he was gonna do against left handers. He ends up with ten dollars as his end up value. And that's based on me looking at the at his swing and looking at what I expected him to grow into. That matters. Eddie Rosario, another guy who you were super high on, $18 again, $8 over the course of the season. A guy that I was not high on and that I thought was gonna was gonna fall. And he did. Now, he also had an injury issues. And and you know, you and I argue over Eddie Rosario as much as you can argue over you want blintzes with cheese or just with, with strawberries and cheese, right? You can argue you can argue it. But but I do think that under, that there's more to the game than just the numbers. I still believe that. I believe that firmly. I believe sure. that watching watching a, a a player's growth and what you think that's going to happen with that player is hugely important. Sure, sure. 
Um, but you know what? Uh, you know, for every example you have that way, I, every two examples you have that way, I can probably come up with three examples there. Marcus Semyon, I had valued pretty high. Eduardo Escobar, oh my goodness, and that worked out. I, I mean, the, the theory is when you have projections and you have numbers like that, you're not going to get the calls all right. You're going to get a call a certain percentage of the time right. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that I don't know that my scouting ability, and, and maybe yours is better, and maybe somebody else has a better scouting ability than the projections say, but um, for most people, I think that projections are probably more superior in the average. Uh, and not to say that you shouldn't. If you, if you have knowledge of a player, you certainly should use it. If you know a player is not swinging correct in the spring, you should, you should take that knowledge. But above all else, you should at least know where your base is, and you should at least say, okay. I agree with that. You know. I agree with that. I don't disagree with that. And I think that, but I don't, what I don't love is the idea that the, the values are more important because look, Robbie Ray was a guy that I was on this show talking to you about, right? And the projections did not have him for anything close to any, I mean, anything. I mean, he was a $3 player or a $4 player, but it was the understanding of what he did in spring. People say spring training stats mean nothing. Sometimes they do. Because if you remember, I talked about this on your show, that 26 of 28 pitches in his first start of the spring, he threw for strikes. That signified to me that he had finally found his command. You're not going to find that in the projections. The projections are already taken care of before that. And and of course, the hardest thing about projections is the playing time and role. Certainly, I, I do think, though, that the human eye has a better detection on what the where the manager's playing in the lineup, which isn't, mm -hmm. you know, uh, so, you know, you can gain more information, especially on playing time, and I think that wins out. Here's another question for you. Which is more true? A, and of course, again, these are both true, but which is more important? A, would you say that leagues are won on draft day, or would you say, B, leagues are won with the in-season moves and pickups? Ravine, you first or me first? I uh, it's I, well, I'm probably going to say different than you. I'm going to say draft day. Dra it's 100 one in draft day. Just when based on what I said before, because if you build a deep team, you can sustain injuries and you can still have a good team. If you pick right, if you quote unquote get lucky sometimes, you can ride the wave. If you pick that correct ace and you and he didn't get hurt or he didn't bomb out or have a problem with sticky stuff or anything like that, then you picked right and you were able to carry the season based on the draft day alone. Most of the time you can't do that. You do need to have some in-season managing done to be, able to be able to get certain categories and stuff like that. But I think it's one on draft day and the fab stuff and everything like that, that's just gravy to be added to your train. Here's what I would say. Here's what I would say. Um, you may be surprised to hear this. I agree with you, Ruvain. Um, I do. However, it depends on the format. If it's a 15-team league or higher, it's 100% draft day. Because without drafting well, you're constantly fighting. Okay? But if it's a 12-team league, like the, the Tout Wars head-to-head, -head, the draft is less important. Because there's much more value to be had on the waiver wire. And you can find the hot hand and develop the hot hand. Right? Someone like Cedric Mullins was not drafted in a 12-team league. He is going to be drafted in a 15-team league. Right. And so like if you don't get him there, well, not always, actually. I think he was available in, in Tout Wars is a very funny story there. We don't have to go into that. But I, I do think that it's the draft. I go back to what Fred Zinke said, um, and you'll forgive me if you, if you heard me say this before, but what his his favorite part of playing the game is, and I think I'm on board with him now. His number one favorite thing is the draft. His number two favorite thing is the preparation for the draft. And then number three is in-season game and trading. Right. And I'm kind of there, you know, I kind of think that the, 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 you know, that's where you find your great success. And that goes back to what Ariel is saying. So 
I, I'm not downgrading, Ariel, what you're saying about um, the values, because having a real understanding of those values and where where the depth in a, in a particular draft is, is huge. It, it's really huge. Um, and so I would argue, along with Ruvain, that what happens on draft day is mostly determinative of what you're going to see over the course of the season. I mean, it's, it's sort of obvious at this point. Yep. My answer is exactly Ian's, actually. Um, I think that for deep leagues, 15-team mixed or mono leagues, it the draft is more important. I'll give it like a 60-40 edge. In shallower leagues, 12-team mixed and under, I believe that the in-season is more important. Yeah, you look at there us. Are more, yeah, of course, there's look more stuff to come on the wire. So, uh, But I put that this question to Twitter. Uh, actually, they say in-season. 75% of the audience responded really? uh, that in-season is more important. But I, I disagree. I think the draft is way more important than people think. Uh, so there you go. Um, so before we do uh, um, some lessons learned, um, it's time for the Injury Gurus Trivia of the Week. Well, we're going to be talking about lessons learned here, and one of the things we're going to be talking about is having coming away from the first or second round with speed. Is it necessary? So what I did was I looked back and I looked at the final standings of the top 25 stolen base guys this year in baseball, 17 or more stolen bases. How many of them were drafted in the first or second round of the top 25 stolen base guys, 17 or more? How many were drafted in the first or second round? I just did this today on, on Twitter, so I know the answer. So oh, you know in- the answer? Okay. Okay. Um, I'm going to say five. In the first or second round, the answer is seven. Uh, using the ADP from NFBC from January 1st to April 1st of this year, I got four. I got Tatis, Turner, Jose Ramirez, and Ronald Acuna. So 21 What about Bichette? Not. Where was Bichette? B- 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 Bichette fell just out of the second round. According oh, I have Bichette. Oh, okay. I have Bichette. I have okay, Bichette so if you had it there, then, then the answer is five. But yes. let's just think, of, just think about that. Of the top 25 stolen base guys... Only five were in the top two rounds drafted. So what does that mean? Does that mean you're supposed to go chasing for speed in the first two rounds? I don't think so because you can get speed the rest of the draft. Yeah, so so just let me just add numbers that I came up with today. For for players with at least 15 stolen bases, so maybe a little bit deeper than the 17 you said, Yeah. Um, I have in the first four rounds, 12 players. In the next 18 rounds, 13 players. After that, just seven. Um, so does that mean that you really need to walk away of the first four rounds with at least somebody that's going to steal you some bases? Is that a lesson learned for you, Ian? Yeah, for sure. But I mean, that's a lesson I've had because I, the thing that I don't like doing is chasing anything later in the draft. I want to keep finding and auction slightly different, right? But let's say just in a pure draft situation, I want to make sure that I get some speed. Um, you know, that I, I, re- I really just I think it's it's imperative to get some speed early so that you're not spending the rest of your draft passing up on other guys that you really want to make sure that you get. Oh, God, I can't even think of his name. The center fielder for uh, Cleveland right now. Um, Oscar Mercado. No, no, no. He used to play for Houston. Zimmer. No, nope, Zimmer. No, nope, no. Nope. Used to play for. Uh, you talking about Miles Straw? Yes, Miles Straw. Like that, I got to reach for Miles Straw. Thank you, Ariel. Um, I got to. It's been a long day. I got to reach for Miles Straw to make sure that I get the, that speed. And then you're getting guys who who knows if he's going to hold that playing time, right? That's the concern for me. So uh, for me, it says I want to get some speed. Certainly in the first four rounds, definitely want to get some speed for sure. Okay. So let me ask you this this theoretical question. Okay, 
Who would you rather take? Let's say you're picking third, um, and uh, here are the two choices for the first round. You can either pick Vladimir Guerrero Jr. or Bo Bichette. Who you're picking in the first round with those two only? Hmm. Well, with the third pick, those are my th- those are my only choices with the third uh, pick. I'm I'm just throwing. I'm just you know. Do, uh, who do you prefer for, for for a first round pick next year? Trey Turner. I, I didn't say Trey Turner. <laughs> Fernando the, the, Tatis Jr. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm specifically picking a guy, Guerrero, who does not steal. I'm not going to take Guerrero. I mean, I really like Bichette. I don't know if I'm going as high as three on Bichette, though. Well, no, the point of the question is, uh, are, you, you know, can, should Guerrero be taken as high as he does because he doesn't steal? Not and- for me, no. I mean, for me, that's that's a that's a problem, you know? I mean— his batting average is really good. You can almost argue that Otani has more value, uh, not maybe not more value, but more. You know what? More Otani is a two sixty hitter maximum. I understand. I, I I and I understand that that's that that's a major issue. But he's also going to give you twenty five steals. Right, Otani gives you steals. Well, the question here is: take a guy who's phenomenal but doesn't steal. Mm-hmm. I think that they have to be downgraded. I think I would rather yeah, take so. Bo Bichette than Guerrero. And if I have to play an auction, I think my value for Bichette is going to be higher than Guerrero because of categorical risk here. That yeah. you know, you, Bichette spreads the risk a lot better. I would have felt a lot better if it was a question at pick number six than at pick number three. Because I don't know uh, if I take Bichette. It's the same thing. So, same question. You're pick six and Vlad's still on the board and so is Bichette. I think the answer is Bichette right now. Mm. Because of the way that the steals are going, yeah, because of the construct, you're going to be left chasing all all along. Well, I mean, you can take Pete Alonso a couple rounds later for the power. That that takes care of Guerrero's power. The RBIs, you can take uh, some guy all the way down. But what you can't get is those steals and the average and the runs. I think that that's the argument that it's a risk. It's a it's it's a, it's a risk reason, um, and it's a categorical risk. And and okay, and well the then risk here's a better price. question. Here's a better question. What about taking either Otani or Trey Turner? Trey Turner, Turner will give you more stolen bases, but Turner. Otani will give you more power. Turner, 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 Turner could be the number one overall pick. Next he should, year. He, That's yeah, in fact, I think he should be. I mean, he yeah. would be. He would be. He's been my choice every year in every NFBC. Somehow, I'm always getting him, whether it's at five or at eight or at six or at even nine. Sometimes the upside with Turner is just so remarkable because he's going to give you average. He's going to give you thirty to 40 stolen bases over the course of a season. He's also going to hit you 20, even if he doesn't hit you 25 to 30 home runs. I just think Turner is the, Turner yeah. is, is the, and now with the dual eligibility as well, with the second base shortstop, I don't know. I just, to me, that's the guy. Yeah, I'm not arguing Turner there, but uh, the, just it, it's a, it's and it's not a mock on Guerrero. Guerrero is probably a very low risk person, also, but there but that's a low risk for obtaining his value, a low parameter risk. The categorical risk is enormous when you don't take somebody in the first round. I'm just throwing that out there. The other question um, in terms of uh, lessons learned are uh, case for an ace. Do you think that it's imperative to take somebody in the first four rounds? Who's an ace pitcher, or, or take two in the first f- four rounds? Uh, is is that something that we can learn from this year? Do you think? Me? Um, yeah. No, I, I mean maybe four rounds, yeah. But in the first two rounds, I think it was a real big thing to grab pocket aces this year. Um, I I I don't know, man. Jose Ramirez is sitting out there, and I'm taking Jose Ramirez ahead of. I'm looking at steals ahead of any pitcher. That's I just I think I can find pitching 
You can't find steals in the same way. And look at Garrett Cole. Are you going to trust Garrett Cole? Can you pick Jacob DeGrom right now? Do I really want to be holding the bag on Max Scherzer when the Max Scherzer experiment is over? Sure, you could look at Walker Bueller, but that's the first time he's ever thrown that many innings. Who knows that he's going to come back and do it again? Aaron Nola was taken in the second round. Luis Castillo was taken in the second round. Uh, Tyler Glasnow was taken in the second round. Clayton Kershaw was taken in the second round. Blake Snell was taken in the third round. You know, I mean, I, I don't know that I want to be putting that risk out there that that's that's my take today it may change my mind but yeah the season that's where i am i don't think you need to the the pocket ace strategy i i think is is putting a lot of eggs in a basket um and you're giving up a lot of important value and statistics so i'm not a fan of that um i'm a fan of getting some some good anchor and then waiting a bit um i, I i'd rather do that than wait and get two a fourth and a fifth round pitcher uh, I'm, I'm looking at um i did some analysis today on um what value was left in the first round so the, the like the average pitcher in the taken in the first round walked away with 19 dollars of value the average pitcher in the second round walked away with 17 dollars of value and so on and so forth. The drop off happened after the fourth, the fourth round. Then you get only eight dollars of value, negative value in the sixth round. So if you didn't pick a pitcher in the first four rounds, there was a serious drop off to the next. There's another drop off that occurs after the twelfth. So in the eleventh round, there's an average of ten. In the twelfth uh, round, there's an average of ten dollars. But then there's a drop off, negative two, one, negative seven, two, one. So there's almost no value in pitching somewhere in the middle. If you're taking a pitcher from rounds twelve through through 20 you're, you're getting very very little return on investment and then there's some darts later the the actual average return on the 24th round 25th round those are positive but so if you think about what i just said it basically begs you to say you take an ace in the first four two three rounds you take a a, a number two starter uh in the sixth seventh eighth and then you wait on pitching to the end that's really what what the model says this year as to what happened and actually this is what happened the last couple of years as well so that that's my thought on what you do with pitching based based on this year alone if you look at some of the stats and i did some dig big di- a lot of digging here are the top 10 adp starters from this year how many of them do you think started 30 games of the top 10 adp from this year scherzer did cole did giolito did. did bueller did the answer the answer is seven seven of the top yeah. 10 adp pitchers pitched 30 or more starts that's okay? pretty good actually Going from 10 to 20, how many had 30 starts? Uh, two. The answer is the answer is four. Yeah. So I think that you really should be getting that starter in the top one of those top 10 starters, which is probably going to be in the first or second round, and then you can wait, right. like you're saying, Ariel. But I think yeah. you want some stability, and you get more stability in those first two rounds as opposed to a third or a fourth round guy. Yeah, the question is also volume. I think that there's a much bigger guarantee that if you take – a pitcher in the first three rounds that they're going to get the close to 200 innings uh, as opposed to anywhere else. Yeah, um, maybe. I mean, I, 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 I hear you guys. I hear you guys. Yeah. Uh, I, and I'm not, I, I haven't dug deep enough, but there's a piece of me that is going back old school, back in the day when taking a pitcher early was dumb, right? You know, because they're, they're so risky. And it's like, well, you know, but then we looked at last year and I even made an argument at a certain point to bring starting pitchers up in my dynasty rankings over at The Athletic. But... I'm sort of leaning away now a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm nervous about it, you know? Like, what, what happens if Corbin Burns has some arm trouble? Then you're done, you know? I mean, sure, there's Mike Trout has, has calf trouble, you know? But, I don't know, Shane Bieber, it's just there. Even 
Giolito? Like, what did he what, what did he bring back this year? Not that much. He wasn't great. You know, he wasn't great. It wasn't worth a first round pick. I'd rather I'd rather take the Freddie Freeman there or the Bryce Harper there. Giolito, I, I I had as like an eleventh round pitcher according to my values. He was not even going to be on my list. But all Darvish, those other guys. Though? How about Darvish? Where was Darvish on your list? Lower than I was lower than most. Uh, you know. Um, uh, Nola, though, I was higher. You know, I was fine on Nola. Luis Castillo, I was, you know, fine on him. Uh, you know, look, there's going to be there, – here's the, here's the point to everybody. There's going to be misses. But w- the way to look at it is if you're indifferent about your draft position, you want a starter. And sure, you could be higher on a certain person or not. But if you need a starter, you know, you're sort of going to be indifferent to what's on the board. And if you, if you do that, you just go by the numbers. And the numbers say that taking the starter in the first three rounds is a must. That's what well, the numbers say. I mean, look at... Uh, I'm going to use my AL labor for a minute. I didn't have an ace. I didn't have an ace. They were all 10 11 and $12 and came in second in ERA, second in whip, and first in wins. That's, and a, mo- that's, in a, that's, a, that's a mono league, so it plays okay. a little bit differently because you have to guarantee playing time. So, so it's a little bit different. It is a little bit different, but you know? but the point is that if you choose the uh, right, but, pitchers, but also uh, it also it, uh, mono leagues the values tend towards hitters. Like the the starters are going to be pushed downwards, whereas in a mixed league the starters are going to be pushed up. All right, and it also depends on the format because if it's a points league, then you, if, I, I'm thinking while we're having this conversation that we're looking at roto. Is that roto. how you guys are thinking of it? Yes, it's roto. Okay, roto. I just wanted to make sure because if it was head to head, I'd have a different conversation. Yeah, yeah, correct, correct. Of course, it, it matters there. Uh, next question: uh, You know, Salvador Perez had an unbelievable year. He actually finished second on uh, my player rater as far as his roto value. Do you think that Salvador Perez slash JT Realmuto types we're talking about not just elite but super elite catchers? Are they worth paying up for and sacrificing a I don't know third, fourth round pick on him? Do you think that that that's worth it? Ravine, you go first. No. Catcher, okay. no. No. I would spend my money in a safer place. I'm not saying that Salvador Perez or JT Rimoto aren't safe, but I'd rather have spend a, th- a third-round pick or a fourth-round pick on another big bat that gives me a little more guarantee than a catcher. Yes, Salvador Perez will play more DH coming up in the, probably next year, I assume. Um, but he's not going to hit 48 home runs again. You, you can't, I mean, how many catchers? The first time a catcher ever did that. So what you're paying for for next year, if you're paying in the third round, is you're paying for last year's stats. That's what contracts are. Pay, play, teams are playing, paying players for last year's stats. You're not paying for what's happening this year. If, if they are, then the Mets should have paid Francisco Lindor a couple of bucks. You know, it, it, it's, a, it's a matter of paying what you think the person is valued right now. And when you draft a catcher, like Perez or like J.T. Ramuto. Not that they're the two, they are the two best catchers out there, but I would not spend the the draft um, capital at that point. I'd rather spend it somewhere else. Ian, uh, I'm not nearly in Ruvain's, uh intensity about it at all, um, and certainly if it falls to the fourth round, there's a league I played in. It's a one catcher league, and I think that that's also somewhat dependent, right? If it's a two catcher league, if it's a one catcher league. Um, but this was a one-catcher league, 20-team dynasty, Devils Rejects. And uh, we had Salvador Perez on the team. And we won home runs by 30. 30 home runs over the course of the season. Um, and it was all because of Salvador Perez. He played 161 games. He hit in 161 games this season. I think there's value there. I don't know, th- I don't know that I'm going to spend it in the third. But if he's hanging around in the late fourth, early fifth, I'm gonna do it. And if it's uh, if he, let's say in an auction, fifteen team auction, Ariel, 
if if I put down twenty four dollars for Salvador Perez, are you going to twenty five? I mean, uh, I bought Salvador Perez in both labor and tout wars this year, and I did not regret it. No. Um, so, um, you know, I mean, here here's my my deal with with uh, with getting a high priced catcher. And, um, and remember, I, I had to push you in labor to get Salvador Perez. You initially didn't want him, and I said, "No, go get him." So you were actually on the fence about paying that much that we paid for him. Well, how much did um, you pay? What did you pay? I think we paid nineteen. <laughs> um, but but you know, but but again, I, I was I, I I think for for that specific case, I, I said let's spend ten and get like Grandal. But you know, the market premium was low. So here's the difference between all the stuff we were talking about before with steals versus catcher. Steals is a market premium issue, meaning there's a high demand for for stolen bases. That's why people pay more. But there's a scar- there's a scarcity issue. With with yep. catchers, right? There's Absolutely. there's just only a few catchers who are above replacement. The rest stink. So the uh, the premium that you're paying, especially in a two catcher league, is very high. But it's not a premium. It's what they're actually worth because of scarcity. So um, the 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 answer that I have, it's a little bit of a cop out answer. You can think of it, but it really depends on what everybody else is doing. If the market premium is low all around, if people just don't like paying for catchers, you should be paying a lot more for for Salvador Perez. Uh, or I'm sorry. You you should buy him at the lower excess market premium. Right. If everybody is pushing up, pushing up, pushing up, you don't want to spend a, a fortune on Salvador Perez. Meaning, uh, it's easier to see this in a draft. If, if, I'm going to give you the exaggerated case. Um, if if the third catcher is going in the sixth round, Salvador Perez in the third is a human, tremendous bargain. But if the third catcher goes in the twelfth round, Salvador Perez in the third is really weak. Right, it really depends on what everybody else does. Um, one other thing about catchers, um, the so problem- if he's, wait, 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 let me interrupt you. I'm sorry. If it's in the fourth round, just clean late fourth, and Salvador Perez is sitting there in a two catcher, fifteen team NFBC style league, forget try to try to forget the market premium right now, where where everyone else is going. Do you think he brings value enough to be worth that pick because of what he gives to that position? Because nobody else is getting near that many at-bats compared so to what come, Perez is doing. Yeah, and that comes to my, my other point here. Um, the answer is, in a pure value answer, it's yes by a mile. The one problem, and this is for everybody to decide, is that there's a risk issue. Because let's say your first baseman gets hurt, then the, the, you can pick up a guy off the waiver wire. He's... You know, going to be lousy, but he brings some stats. Sure. If Salvador Perez gets hurt, your replacement for him utterly stinks. He's going to bat 200, 190. I mean, you, you're getting garbage. So there's the risk of injury for him affects your team a lot more than the risk of injury for somebody else. Mm-hmm. So you got to be cautious about paying too much of a premium because of the injury risk. It's it's the same deal with Mondesi for steals, but it, it, it's true for catcher. That, but, you know. but he's at the end of the fourth round. It's the 60th pick. You're on the clock. I'm picking him next year because I think that he's going to start DHing more games. And he so can't. He can't DH anymore. He DHed every sing, every single game that he wasn't catching. He was DHing. I mean, he, right. uh, he played right, it. Right, right. Yes, yes, yes. So I'm saying because I think he's catcher slash the DH where the injury yeah. risk is less, he's worth more. And if the DH comes to the National League, actually the same then can be true for right. JT Real Muto. But that's and why I, would, I don't put Real Muto in that, same, in that same category for that exact reason. Because Real Muto, if he's not starting behind the plate, maybe he'll get a game or two at first base. But Sal Perez is batting third for the Kansas City Royals. No, but if the DH... But if the DH yeah, comes to the National comes there, League, then it's Yeah, true. but then who would you pick? Who would you take? Let's say the DH is there. Who do you have hired next year, Sal Perez or JT Realmuto? 
Uh, I haven't done my numbers. It's probably going to be Sal Perez. It's um, going to be Perez. It's because because Rimuto is not going to steal as much as he starts getting older. Also, catchers in general yeah. don't steal, and and Rimuto, a lot of his some of his value is in his stolen bases because he gives you like ten fifty. Used to give you ten fifteen stolen bases. Yeah, yeah, yeah those yeah. are those are good days. Uh, next lesson learned: closers. Um, I kind of think that uh, the lesson learned here is pay up for a closer. I mean, uh, again, running the numbers, if you picked a closer in the fourth round, fifth round, sixth round, they pretty much held value on the average. Uh, and then if you look all the way down, the return is negative. I've got no value from round 17 all the way through 27 on average for a relief pitcher. So uh, it's pay up for a closer, and other, other, otherwise you're – you know, you know, play the waiver wire, which if you know, if you bought one of those Toronto Blue Jays in April and then brought another Toronto Blue Jay in April, you busted forty percent of your fab for nothing. You know? All right, so I'm going to share my 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 uh, theory about closers that I've had for a number of years and that I've used for a number of years, and it seems to work. Okay, I use the back page as my guide. That what does that mean? It means that if someone loses their job as a closer. And it is a big story on the back page of the New York Post. That's the guy you want, right? So that's a very small number of guys. And you got to get one of them. You got to get, that's my theory. I got Liam Hendricks everywhere this year. Remember, I paid the extra dollar in labor, made extra $2 above value. Because even, even though I got a little nervous there when Kimbrell came over, because Hendricks was going to be the closer. He was going to have every opportunity. That's why I was a little nervous about Edwin Diaz. Raldis Chapman, same deal. Kenley Jansen, I invested in in the in, in last offseason. Because if Kenley Jansen lost that job, the clubhouse would have, it would be a story. And managers don't like stories. They don't like distractions. Ask Urban Meyer. Sorry, a little football joke, which I don't even follow. But but that's the that's the point to me. You gotta get one of those guys. You gotta get one of the elite closers in baseball. If you have the opportunity, you gotta make sure you get one. And there aren't that many, so you pay up for it. That's my. That's definitely in NFBC. You just pay for it. You go get yourself Hendricks, Hader, Chapman, Iglesias, Jansen, and there's probably more that I'm not thinking of. Diaz, we can argue about Diaz. We argue about Diaz, but but I say you've got to get one, and then then you're only fighting for one because then because anything can happen. Anything yeah. can happen with with all the rest of these closers. You're wasting not only you're wasting draft capital, but like you said, you're wasting your fab money in a way that is probably not going to work. It's very rare that it works. Yeah. So, you know, that people stick. Anyway. Just to throw in just to throw in something else, um, uh, there's a direct correlation. It's very, very well regressed that the more wins a team has, the more saves the team has. So in general, if you're going to pick a team, right. if the Dodgers are, were supposed to be a good team, pretty good to pick uh, to pick Kenley Jansen because he's, you yeah. know, He's on a good team, so there and, you go. And that was the thought behind Liam Hendricks. I think he's the best closer yep. on the best team. That's what I thought, and that's why I paid for him. And yep. I trust his stuff more than I did Chapman, which is why I invested in Hendricks. Right. And that was the same thought why we, me and Ariel, invested a lot in Will Smith. We thought he was going to be the closer. We thought it was going to be a good team, so you get a guy who's going to get the most of the stage. Good for you guys. I was not on Will Smith at all. I was so nervous about that situation. I just thought that there were too many. I wasn't. I, w I wasn't convinced. And if I'm not convinced about a team's situation, I don't want it. Now I you know what. Want it. The thing about Will Smith, though, is that that Atlanta bullpen had a zillion lefties and one righty. So mm -hmm. the, yeah. the, the closer was going to be a lefty. Righty. 
But but then what about what do you do with someone like Jake McGee who came out of nowhere? He had horrible seasons. I mean, a couple of decent seasons in the past, but he yeah, was he with with and that was with Tampa. But he came out of nowhere, and and he's a lefty, and he was playing for a bad team. He was going to the season. They thought everyone thinks the Giants were going to be a bad yeah, I mean, team. McGee was everyone a dart. He was a dart. It, it was, yeah, there was. was literally a dart. So was Melanson. One of the top closers. So, so was, was Melanson for sure. So and I stayed. Exactly. I stayed as far away from that San Diego Padre, the San Francisco Giants. I didn't want anything to do with that. I was drafting Kimbrel. I was. Dra- I was drafting Hendricks. I was. Dra- and Kimbrel is is a dangerous player to draft because. I should have I should have had the foresight to say, well, what if the Cubs fall out of it and he gets moved? It did not occur to me that he would move to a team where he would not be the closer. Yeah, that, that was, was so, a low probability on that. Yeah, one, that was that was but, that yeah. was tough, and he stunk in Chicago. Thank goodness, actually, because yeah. I had a lot more Hendricks than I did the one team I had Kimberl on. Yeah, uh, another last uh, another question here. Um, what lesson learned? Uh, we talk about market premium in terms of paying more. How about market discount? What I found this year, it worked that there was a market discount on corner infielders, meaning you can wait and you take a corner late. Like, uh, let me give you a couple examples. How about Joey Votto, Yuli Gurriel, Austin Riley, uh, uh, Turner, Justin Turner, Jonathan India, Jared Walsh, Mountcastle, Escobar. I can I can name you 10 of these mm-hmm. uh, corner infielders taken very late in drafts, and they turned a huge, huge profit. Um, that's a market discount for corner infielders. You do not have to clog them up early. Do you agree with that market discount? Is that a lesson to be learned to next year? Obviously, you have to see what the, the player pool is, but I find that, that that could go on again. People who listen to Ariel Cohen's and Ruvain show, what Ariel's talking about right here was one of the main keys to my success in AL labor. I firmly believe that the reason I won the league was because of David Fletcher at second base and Jose Iglesias, believe it or not, at middle infield because it's AL only. There was a glut at the back of the middle infield. So I paid up for Tim Anderson. I paid $30 for Tim Anderson, but then took the $8, I think it was $8 for David Fletcher, who was until the end of the season, just phenomenal. And then $4 for Jose Iglesias, which seems like a lot, but it's not right. But that's where the glut was. That was like the biggest, I think one of the biggest values that I learned from learning the values is where that glut is and then saving your money and using it in other spaces. Now I would argue that Jose Ramirez, there are certain players that bust out of that, right? Because Ramirez being able to give you the stolen bases. I don't know. I'll, I'll send it back to you. Well, first go to Ruvain, but then I'll send – go Ruvain, you answer, and then I'm going to ask a question. Ruvain, go. Sure. Okay. Um, the corner infield, <laughs> you could have had so many cheap guys later on, and if you would have waited, you could have pay, paid the market premium for those middle infielders and still gotten the Austin Riley to play your 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 corner infield and gotten a lot of value out of them. So the, I think the values in stay the same because I think the middle infield guys, the shortstops, all the ones that are going to be changing teams this offseason, those are the ones that are going to be hyped up. Those are the ones that are going to say, "Oh, I'm going to do well in this in this new in this new surroundings. I'm going to bust out." What if uh, Trevor Story goes to the Yankees? His values, people think his value is going to go through the roof, which means that the corner infield is the place to continue to get that market discount. The market discount, yeah. Okay, so now, Ariel, we're with the understanding that corner infield has this glut, right? Does that discount Jose Ramirez for you? Or are there some players that are just so good and bring so much value to a position that you don't expect to get, right? To get those stolen bases from third base opens up so many other possibilities for you in the middle infield, right? So maybe you don't need it at second base. You can pay, you can pay cheap for Jonathan Scope to get the extra power. 
or do you say no, stay away from Jose Ramirez because there are so many other options? Uh, the 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 top of the draft is a different animal than the bottom of the draft. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the 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 top couple rounds, I'm not looking. I'm looking for the stats and the profile for the player. I'm not looking at the position. Other than I don't want to double up. I I, I would not want to take Freddie Freeman and Jose Ramirez in the first two picks. So then then I'm. S- Locked in, you know, in corner. I I, I want to take an outfielder if possible, but I, I I'm good with taking any position. Like uh, the that was position doesn't bother me. That, yeah. that that was my and that's my yeah. instinct as well. Is that when you have a guy like that, that even you know, so spend your money. I I still always think about auctions. They're so much more fun than than drafting. Personally, it's just you really get to control how how the auction goes and what your team looks like. But for me, I was going to say the same thing, that if you have the opportunity to get Jose Ramirez, you put him in that lineup, it just gives you so much flexibility elsewhere. Yeah. So I, I actually think, um, you know, to answer my original question about corner infielders, uh, I actually think there's going to be a, a, too lo- a, a large market premium for middle infielders because just as Ruvain said, they're changing teams, there's going to be hype. I kind of think that middle infielders are going to be more overvalued than they should this year, and I don't know if I want to pay that premium. I mean, this year you found a lot of guys high up, Bogarts, Tim Anderson. I thought there was a plethora of guys in the middle. I even think Bo Bichette was was very undervalued for where he went. Um, I I think that you're not going to have that. I think that they're going to be actually a little bit out of reach, and so the outfield to me I think is what's going to open up next year. Yeah, that's my opinion. Is the outfield's going to be where you, you might want to pay the market premium, and you'll have the glutton of either low-priced middle infielders later on that are worth more, or or or, or corners will stick again in the bottom. Well, as the season went on, and you needed players for your team, most teams needed outfielders, and you you scoured the waiver wire. The outfielders position it ha- is there's so many players, but it, it just felt so shallow that I think you need to go deeper in the outfield earlier on just because it just seems like there's a huge drop off in the in the on the wires like ridiculous yeah uh, outfielders need to be taken earlier i think you can always find a corner infield late and i think next year you're going to be able to find the middle infield late in in a mixed league uh outfielders are what you need to really look for earlier and and middle middle of the draft um i I think that that's when you want to stock up on, on that did you agree with that ian yeah i mean i think i think so i'm thinking about it because also somehow I was able to find middle infielders, guys who are getting playing time. Again, I'm focusing on AL only a lot, right? But Owen Miller was getting some pretty regular playing time. And Yu Chang found some, you know, and Andy Abanez shows up, right? Like that's a, the second base, third base, like they, they, they find playing time. The outfield is more challenging because you see more platoons out there than you see in the infield on the grass. Because it's it's more about like we, we need the big bat doesn't matter so much with the glove, so then you run into Austin Slater Stephen Duggar issues and and you just don't I don't want to have anything to do with that, you know I really do want those outfielders that are going to play every day so yeah I think I think as of now again you know it's it's early and, and we're going to be able to see things from twenty thousand feet not today because you know we're still looking back at this past Sunday. But that sounds okay to me. I, again, I, I just keep feeling like maybe you don't spend so much on pitching. I don't know. It's just my – just have this vibe. It's like I, I get what you guys are saying about try to get that ace, but I want to get it at a good price. I think I got burned by Shane Bieber 
in Tout Wars. I spent $35, which felt like the discount. I trust the process, not the discount. results. It was oh. the wrong guy. You, you could have gone for Cole. I mean, it just well, you happened to get Bieber in that one. You know? Well, because Cole was $43 and Bieber was 35 You know, I, right. wasn't, I wasn't going after Bieber. He was just, he was valued uh, at, for a, at 40 yeah, but, 38, but nobody 39. was. But nobody had a $10 difference in Cole versus Bieber. That 10 looked really good. Uh, it's the trust the process, not the results. You, yeah. you happen to get the wrong guy. I, I, that's what happens, you know. Yeah. But we had Luis Castillo in a league. That burned us. Okay, you know, it's the wrong guy for one league. That that league, uh, we finished uh, fourth. Uh, uh, you know, most of the other leagues, we did well. You know, it, 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 it's, it's trust the process, not the results. Uh, you know, just a general, just the last part of this segment, just to throw it out there to, to you. Um, you know, are there any other, what do you think is a real big success that you had this year or maybe a failure this year or something that you'll do differently in 2022? Uh, the failures. I I feel like I was chasing steals in Tower Wars. You know, I mean, okay. I I I, I had <laughs> it's a tough draft. I I drafted Buxton. I drafted Louis Robert. I drafted Eloy Jimenez. I drafted Shane Bieber. I drafted Aaron Hicks, and the whole season, um, I ended up and 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 I was able to finish seventh, which felt like a huge success, living down at thirteenth and fourteenth for so much of the season, dealing with the injuries. Um, but, but I never had enough speed and, and that's part of what my thought process is because I think I had two points in stolen bases over the course of the season. I think I tried to pay, I, 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 you know, back of the draft, I wanted Elvis Andrus to bring me some steals and that just didn't work out. So it's like, although, you know, Louis Robert would have stolen 25 bases and Buxton, if he had stayed healthy, would have stolen 25 bases, but I still felt light in stolen bases coming out anyway. And, And it's hard to come back from that. Just tough to come back. Ruvain, how about you? A success or failure, or something you do different? Well, success. I think we. I think we were both able to manage our teams pretty well because our teams were pretty deep, and we were able to get through a lot of injuries. and And we balanced the team, and it was very good. And I, I was great. I think the problem that I run into is the exact same thing. I had a problem last year, and it's just a complete random of a uh, random draw. And that's that I had too many players from one team. I tweet last year, I had too many Cardinals. They missed too much time. They had too many delays, too many shortened games. I missed a lot of stats. This year, yes, I'm a Mets fan, but we had too many Mets on, on the team. It just happened Oof. to be that that was the worst time to have these Mets. We thought Alonzo was going to have a big year. We had we had McNeil for average. We had Dom Smith coming off a big year. Um, we had Edwin Diaz hoping for a big year. And you know what? They had so many doubleheaders. We lost so many possible innings for them to play that it was just so hard to catch up. And not only that, the rainouts were so early in the season that when they came, when by the time they got to, to the rainout, to the makeups, a lot of them were injured or the season was over already, and it just really didn't matter anymore. So we lost a lot of time. And again, it just happened to be where they were valued, where we valued them, and it happened to be that we had a lot from one team. I think we have to... Um, I guess call it diversify our portfolio a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, I I think we divide, diversified across all leagues. Just that one league for some reason it came up. But uh, listen, you, you you can diversify, and if you you have to get a, a discount on some players to take too many on the same team. Uh, I'll give you a success and a failure of mine. Uh, the success, and I'll I'll say it because I want to just uh, call attention to my uh, volatility metrics. But uh, Bobichet. Um, Bo Bichette, I had registered, uh, I, I have three in, uh, volatility metrics. 
some interval, interprojection, standard deviation, skew, and um, some categorical risk. Uh, Bichette was uh, low risk, low risk, low risk, upside. Like uh, all my volatility metrics said, wow, this guy actually is probably better than the projections even say. This guy has a very tight projection. There's no way this guy is going to bust. And when you're doing your pricing, not only do I say, well, you know, he, Bichette is worth $30, so I'm going to – and that's what my valuation said, 30 But when, when you see projections are so tight and are so low risk, um, it tells me that I have to add a risk adjustment. And for, for his risk adjustment, is positive. So I said, all right, well, I can actually spend three extra dollars on Bichette to guarantee it. Any guy who's low risk, that's why those five-category guys – it's worth paying up for, not just for the stats, but for the risk. I mean, you take a guy like like Mark Hanna. Mark Hanna does a little bit of everything, and he's uh, nowhere near. He's all the way down in the middle of the draft, but he has runs. He has stolen bases. He has homers. He can have a bad year in homers, but he'll still give you value elsewhere. He can have a bad year in stolen bases, but he still provides the runs. Taking guys who are more categorically spread, it reduces the risk of your portfolio, and that's just such a an important thing to note, and I think I did that well. In terms of failure, um, I think I can improve on the waiver wire. Not that I do a bad job with the waiver wire, but I don't have time to go so deep to – Get who's going to be the next guy? Who do I take the stab at? Like I was listening to Phil Dassault, uh, who had a great year in the NFBC talk, and you know he grabbed Ranger Suarez two weeks earlier before anybody for two bucks. Like I, 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 I got to figure out how to do that. But that goes and, back, Ariel. That goes back to your first question, right? Because as you were talking, I was thinking about it, right? Yeah. Like knowing the players, not Ranger Suarez, because that came out of nowhere for everybody. I, I that can't. I, Jeez, and how amazing was he? Yeah. But there's, but there's, you know, I keep trying to get you to play Dynasty, don't I? Or Keeper Leagues. And you're like, no, 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 I'm not going to do it, right? But here's why I think it's so important to actually, for a player as successful as you, Ruvain, you as well, because it gives you a wider understanding of the players, not just the players that are in the major leagues right now, but the prospects, and the kids who are coming up. So someone like the guy I keep thinking about, like Austin Riley, who could have guessed? Who could have guessed? Well, James Anderson's James Anderson's been talking about Austin Riley for three years. In our original RDI draft, maybe four years, in our original RDI draft, Austin Riley was on our list and we took him. Okay? So what does that do for you? When you have a full understanding of the prospects, that way you're not as surprised necessarily when a player who has struggled in the majors finally starts to step into it, right? So there's one thing to know Wander Franco and Julio Rodriguez and Jared Kalanick, sorry guys, but but what about the guys who are in the, the 40 to 50 range, the 50 to 100 range, the 100 to 200 range? If you're watching them as they're coming up and you're following them in that way, when they come up on the wire, you know to be looking for them. I'm just putting that out there. I'm not saying yeah. I'm right. I'm just saying that, that that might, your immensely talented game that you have it could only lift it for you. So to play in a dynasty league, even if you're not great at it, it gives you so much else when it comes to the redraft world. Are That's you inviting it. me to the uh, 
four thousand dollar buy-in dynasty league? Is that why you're a? <laughs> I don't have a four thousand dollar <laughs> buy-in league. That sounds pretty interesting. I have to say, but no, but but, but, but point point taken. And I, I you know, I, I I just said it right now that that's a hole in my game, and it's mostly because of the time, because it requires more time, and I do the most I can with my time. But that's definitely a hole that that uh, would be uh, worth filling. For can for I ask you guys a question about a player that people seem to be so terribly in love with, and I just kind of like, but I'm not so in love with. Sure. I saw a player, um, I see the new pitcher rankings coming out, and Sidney Alcantara is being talked about as a top 10 pitcher. I just don't know that that's right. I mean, right? I mean, I'm asking. I'm, I'm not saying, I'm, I'm not saying, I'm just saying. Like, is he really a third round pick at this point based on the year that he had? But if he's a top 10 pitcher, and I'm not saying he's not, I'm not saying that he's not great. I'm not saying there isn't great upside. I, I love the stuff. I mean, I watch the stuff. That's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at how how can I hit this? <laughs> you know, would would I be able to hit this? Well, none of them. I couldn't hit any of them. But you know, the difference between watching him or watching Mike Miner, clearly Alcantara's got great stuff. But is he really a top ten pitcher? Is there anything in the profile that suggests that, or in the stats that suggests that? Because I own He's him volume. in the dynasty league. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Ruvain. His volume in 2019, he pitched 197 innings. This year, he pitched 205 innings. And mm -hmm. look at those strikeouts. It went from 150 to 201 this year. That's the jump that you're looking for. That's the jump you're looking for. But so, and do you really think he could be a top 10 pitcher? I think he could. I think he's a sleeper to become a top 10 pitcher. I don't think. I don't think he's going to get enough. I mean. Yes, wins are completely variable, but you need to have a certain amount of wins to be a top ten pitcher. Yes, Degrom is different because if, if you can if you can pitch with an subpar uh, sub two ERA and a sub sure. one WHIP, then that's fine. But nobody's <laughs> going to do that. So Hendy Alcantara is not going to do that. So, so he's going to need to win fifteen games or sixteen games along with those two hundred strikeouts to be a top ten pitcher. Is he going to do that on the Marlins? I don't know. I, I that's that's the problem. He need the for that next step. He needs a good team. He had fifteen losses this year. Fifteen with an ERA of three one nine and one oh seven. If he can turn five of those losses into wins, mm -hmm. he is a top yeah. ten pitcher. But gotcha. you know what? Okay. The, the answer actually doesn't matter because for just from you saying this, he's he's overvalued. And if if people are going to pick him in the top ten to turn a profit on him, he's got to be what in the top eight. Um, I, the the answer is no. The answer is he's just don't waste your time on him. He's overvalued. Well, and and I'm not saying that he can't be a top ten pitcher. I just I, it's something that I'm noticing from people who I think are great. Like I think the the list I saw was an amazing amazing guy knows his stuff better than almost anybody. But it it was just one thing that kind of struck me because he was he was taken in the eighth round. I bought him. I I got him in different leagues this year, and he was good. He was good, really good. But but not. I don't know, just not to that level. And I think that, Ruvain, what you said is very indicative because talking about the 3.19 ERA with a 1.07 whip and having that volume is it's very impressive. So he was, thanks, you know. He, he was a top 20 pitcher this year. So uh, I can definitely mm -hmm. see top. And he's young. Top, yeah, I, I, I think. 26, yeah. Yeah, I, I, think, I, I, I think top 10 is pushing it, but top top 15, top top 20 for sure. Um, but I, I think that, you know, again, I, I'm less interested about what he's going to be and what I'm more interested in is there a profit to be had on him? And I think sure. the answer is no. You know, yeah, I, people, I think people I'm going to dress that high. You're, you're not going to get that profit. You want to get that lower guy. So you want to get maybe 
the second guy in the Marlins. Maybe you want to take a, take a chance on that Sixto and, Sanchez, or maybe you want to take a chance on the Max Mayer coming up. And, and you being can't bank on him for something. wins, as as Ruvain said. So if you're going to bank on a number two starter, you're not going to bank on him for wins. So it's a problem right away. Uh, I mean, uh, unless you're banking on him for for good ratios, which he has a good good ballpark. So um, he he the answer is he's 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 definitely usable, but probably way way too overpriced is, is what's going to happen. Well, that, that, that's yeah. why that was my question. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's quickly do the fantasy MVPs for the year. And I'm going to say that the uh, fantasy MVP for the year will be. You're going to take Cedric Mullins, the third? <laughs> it's Cedric Mullins, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's Cedric Mullins, the third? That's it. That's the closest I'll come to the to the impression tonight. You taking Hagger um, out for Cedric Mullins the third? <laughs> that's what you said. Um, that's what you said. Hanniger was great this year too, by the way. Yes, he was. But they, but I was in that particular moment. I was right that the right play was to draft even with the bulk with Hicks going down, with yeah, Buxton yeah. going down, and with Eloy going down, and with Louis Robert going down. I mean, talk about an outfield that was decimated by injury. That was what that Tower Wars team was. And had I had. Cedric Mullins the third had I taken him in the second round of the reserve draft which is when I wanted to take him uh, and I should have because that's what I wanted to do um, then then it would have been uh, th- that would have served quite quite nicely uh, I, I think he was certainly but I'm going to put another guy out there too because Cedric Mullins the third is the obvious choice I got a couple other names that I want to add to that list on the hitter side I'm going to say Shohei Otani because I got him in Almost, I got him either. If I didn't get Stanton, who I had big high hopes for this season, I really thought Stanton was going to uh, get comfortable in New York and really show off his power and kind of do do what he did really towards the end of the season. Ended up having a perfectly fine season, actually. What was his number? Like, how much did he earn? Probably like twenty one, twenty two dollars. But if Shohei I didn't, Otani owned no, 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 sir. Um, Sorry, Giancarlo Stanton. Um, but if I didn't get Stanton around one thirty in NBC, I got Otani everywhere else. Stanton um, earned uh, 15, by the way. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, but Otani, to me, because I would get him in the 220s, 210s, that's when he was being drafted, and he was, to me, the fantasy MVP. Uh, Jorge Polanco, also Jared Walsh, a guy that I was really high on coming in, and a guy that I did not have... Well, first, I'm just going to say this because it's fun to say. Adolis was great, but um, Tyler O'Neill, I, yeah. I, I owned him zero. Zero, zero, zero. Didn't see it coming. Couldn't have expected it. I mean, t- the 34 home runs, 15 are uh, stolen bases with a 286 average. I, tch, not for me. He didn't do any of that for me this season. But those, yep. to me, are the uh, fantasy MVPs of the season on the hitter yeah. side. Yeah, uh, 100%. Uh, by the way, uh, Cedric Mullins finished as the number 5 outfielder. Mitch Hanniger finished as the number 11 outfielder. Yes, so, but it wasn't I mean, going to replace Mitch Hanniger. It wasn't <laughs> no, the idea. I know, I know. I know, I know. But if um, if you look at the 17th or 18th round of the ADP from NFBC, I think you can pick anyone there. Jesse Winker, you get him so late. Look what he did. Austin Riley, we mentioned. Chris Taylor, how valuable was Chris Taylor? We started last night hitting the walk-off home run. But he he, he was an, he can play in any position, and his value was through the roof. And you mentioned Jared Walsh. Those players in the seventh, getting those in the 17th and 18th round, that's so much value right there on top of whatever you had, hopefully if you had something higher up. But those really were the ones that can put your team from just good to great. And Jorge Polanco. I don't know if I mentioned and Jorge Polanco. Polanco yes, but boy, sure. Jorge Polanco was great this year. 
I'll, I'll throw in Salvador Perez. I think that uh, you know having the number two overall guy as a catcher just uh, unbelievable. Um, and Brandon Crawford, uh, he's a guy that came Good way one. off on the waiver wire. You mentioned Adelise Garcia; he's the waiver wire winner of the week of the of the year. But Brandon Crawford really is is next. Um, and and he had it all in one shot, so you could have you know not played him in the end and still and still uh, had all the value. How about are we going to do the 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 bust? Because I just want to say a player I hate. Just hate. Can I say a player I hate? I uh, sure. I like. Why not? <laughs> Eugenio Suarez. Oh my god. Yeah. It didn't oh work my out. God. No. No, he yeah. didn't. <laughs> no, he didn't. And I had. Yeah. No, that was not. He'd rather that, that Joey Votto than the Eugenio Suarez there. No, no doubt. One guy I want to put out for next year. Um, just as I'm looking, I think Glaber Torres is going to be super cheap next year. I think you're gonna. He's gonna probably be bought for thirteen, twelve, thirteen dollars, and I think that's a good price. For Glaber Torres next year, I uh, think the bust, the bust of the year is Adalberto Mondesi. Mm, yeah, okay. I mean, yes. or, or well, or, yes, if we're going to use that metric, wait, wait. he held him all year. But uh, or he Mike Trout, okay. but what he about Mike like, Trout? Mike Trout is number one in terms of uh, value lost. He earned a negative four dollars. He would cost forty four dollars. Mondesi uh, earned negative eight dollars for thirty four. Yeah, but but Mondesi still. was more integral for your stats. I mean, okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, but he was injured, and 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 you know we can have the argument, and we can certainly have the argument. Where do you? What do you think the number on Mondesi is going into next year? The, what do you think that he's gonna go? Yeah. Uh, you know, with Mondesi, I, I the uh, the answer is I really don't care because uh, I'm probably not going to take him uh, for whatever my value. A lot value of people is. listening uh, who will care. Th- though. Th- three, th- uh, no, but where will he go? I'm going to say fourth round. Well, how about this? Would you rather have um, Acuna going into next year coming off an injury or Mondesi coming off an injury? Acuna. Acuna, for sure. Acuna, no. Okay, then would you rather have DeGrom next year or Acuna? Uh, it's a different animal, but uh, yeah, I think Acuna. the answer is Acuna. Yeah, I think it's Acuna. Because... Going, it has to be Acuna. I mean, the, the injury that Acuna is coming back from, and you're the injury guy, is it pretty people come back well. He's going to be so undervalued. I'm going to have so much Robert, Robert Acuna, uh, Ronald Acuna next year. It's going to be great. He's yeah, going to be so but, undervalued. But I think people are going to catch on to that over the course of time because the thing about Acuna is, yeah, the stolen bases are amazing, but the, but the hit tool's there too. I mean, he hits for average. He hits for power. He does a lot of great stuff. I, I, I don't, you know, I see some early NFBCs going out where he's showing up in the second round. I, it's not going to. I mean, Acuna, uh, here's the thing. Acuna's price is going to spike, and yeah. all, of, all the value is going to l- be lost as soon as he steps on the field in spring training. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, he, he played in the spring training? That's it. Value well, how about up, this? You know? How about Acuna or Jose, Marti- Jose Ramirez? Um, that's a good one for Jose, next year. I want, Jose, I want Jose Ramirez. I, want, I, think, he, Acuna, he plays... I think Acuna. Really? I think I go Ramirez. I don't take Ramirez just for the safety of it. I'm gonna go Acuna for the steals and for the um, for the uh, what's it called the outfield eligibility. Also, I think mm. that'll play a little bit. Uh, it's, clo- it's close. It's I, close. I, I, you can't do wrong, right? Uh, the answer is you go in an auction. You go with whoever's cheaper. You know that, that kind of thing. You know. Yeah. And and if you're in a if you're on a draft, you take. Uh, if you're on the wheel, you take Ramirez and Acuna. Then you got no both. way Ramirez is fa- finishing yeah. to the wheel, but there is. I've seen some places where Acuna was going like 17 and Trout was going 18. I will take Acuna, Trout, 15, 15, 16, and I will not think twice about that. What about uh, pi- what about pitching MVPs, um, starter and reliever, Ian? Robbie Ray, Robbie Ray, yeah, it's Robbie, Robbie Ray. Ray, and and the, you know how. 
I had Robbie Ray, Cedric Mullins on the AL labor team. That's how it happened. And Hunter Renfro, oh, yeah. right? But I mean, I had a three dollar Cedric Mullins and a four dollar Robbie Ray, and that that's how it that's how it goes. Yeah, Ro- Robbie you know? Ray led the majors in strikeouts with two hundred forty eight. Anybody who uh, know who came second with two forty seven? Was it Zach Wheeler? Zach Wheeler, yeah, that's right. Nice, uh, Robbie Ray, and that's a guy. I'm way, I, that guy was way up wrong on what, Zach Wheeler. I wish I had him somewhere, and I avoided him like the plague. We we traded uh, Jazz Chisholm for for Wheeler. I remember when you did that. Oh, you were yeah. so you were you were right, and you were pleased. Well, that was, well, that was yeah. a good trade. And by the way, Ariel, who, who did who did I compare? Who did I compare Robbie Ray to a couple yeah. years ago? So this is remember? true. This is true. And I, ha- and I have Ruvain, an article written about it. Yeah, Ruvain was very high on Robbie Ray years ago, and he compared him to Max Scherzer. Yes, um, but so if, if, look, if he ever got control, that's all he needed. He needed exactly. To control Wait a minute. Hold on. Hold the hold the phone. And this is what I was talking about with the opening conversation, which I think is the most important of all of the conversations. If you're understanding the players and paying attention, because I had the same, you, I have been Robbie Raying for years because I love the stuff. I also love the grunt, Robbie Grunt Ray. Like, I love it. I love the way he pitches. I think the pants were a little tight, but so be it. But the fact that it all came down because he's throwing 95 to 97 from the left side. And to me, all it was going to take was finding that command. And that's why paying attention to the players and hearing that he was 26 for 28. That's not luck. You cannot throw 26 for 28 strikes lucky. Something has to have shifted. And that's part of that's as to me really important. Yeah. So what happened with Ray this year is, uh, you know, the walks, I mean, his whip was one Oh five, his walk rate, which was 18% in 2020 went down to 7%, a career low. Uh, but it's also his stuff. His fastball is, is up two miles an hour from where it was two years ago. And it's actually back up to when he started pitching in the majors. Uh, and he ditched the curveball, and he increased his fastball usage 10 extra percent. So he said, I'm throwing harder. I'm going to throw it more. And he got more pinpoints. So uh, it all came together for him. It did. But you know what? Next year, he's going to go in the second round. And I'm not going to touch him. I, that, nope. That's a that's a, a, a weak spot. Well, no, I'm not going to touch him in, in an auction if he's cheap. But part of my problem is I'm not going to own Cedric Mullins next year. And I'm not going to own Robbie Ray. If I bought him for 3 bucks, I'm not going to spend 30 anybody just, who Anybody who had an outsized year out of the blue is always going to be overvalued. I mean, remember Marcus Semyon, uh, when he had that great year three, four years ago, he was way overdrafted the following year. But then this year he crept back down to where he usually was and oh my god so there's always you know uh, very few players who have a really good year a little bit outsized even uh stick with that uh the exceptions are guys like nelson cruz uh and, and, but that's a little bit different story because the, the dude is 40 rick uh, rick porcello rick porcello won the saw young one year fell off the face of the earth after that yeah i mean yeah that's same, that's what same, it's same regression idea. it's regression uh honorable mentions carlos radon um, twenty-six dollar player and for sure the bench player and had him at Adam Wainwright. He was also a bench player and he was just absolutely phenomenal. And Kevin Gossman, goal. Kevin Gossman should should get it. Kevin Gossman was the number one uh, player in points leagues this year. Yeah, um, because I mean he he was a late draft and so he, I ended up buying him in a couple in a in a dynasty league to try to compete. You know, and and he he was he was quite quite excellent for a good long time. We, we lived with him last year, and we had him in almost every team this year. So we lived with the good and the bad. 
Yep, yep, yep. Uh, relief pitcher, uh, I'm going to say it's uh, Emmanuel Classe, uh, who was my bold prediction on the closers. Uh, he had a 100.4 mile an hour average fastball, the highest in the majors for any pitcher over Whoa. 10. The Whoa, only- time out. Say that again. 104. 100.4 average fastball velocity. His So you're telling me he was, so, so sometimes he would throw 101, yes. Yes. and sometimes he threw 107? Not 107, but it would be 101, 102, yeah. No, but if it's 104, I mean, you're the actuary. 100.4. Oh, between, I'm sorry. Between, okay, that's between 90 and 98 and 102 for most okay. of his No, 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 no. I, mis, I misheard. Yeah, I yeah, heard yeah, him yeah. say 104 no, 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 no. 100. average fastball. 100. I missed yeah. the point. I missed it. My bad. Only one player had a higher uh, higher one than him, but he didn't last long with Jordan Hicks. Uh, but uh, he he did. Uh, Class A solved his walk problems and his home run problems, and uh, you know there you go. Karinchak uh, was great, although maybe Spider Tack was the reason he fell no, off. I don't know. He wasn't great. He had a terrible he, season. He had a great season for the first month, and that was it. No, he was terrible. What what what? No, come on. I own Karinchak in a dynasty league. A okay, all right. Maybe he he, I mean, he was not. He was not a. He ended the season. In the he had a zero leagues. ERA for the first month. Karen Jack. Okay. All right. So, well, and, 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 I'm, and good class a. I'm good with yep. Class A. I'm good and, with Class uh, A. I'm good with Class A. Yeah. It's also, and my other two guys, Ranger Suarez, who's relief pitcher eligible. I mean, that came in out of, out of nowhere. 106 innings for 100, 1.36 ERA, one whip, eight wins, four saves. 107 Ks. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, and Andrew Kittredge, uh, a raised relief pitcher, but he was a $9 player for free. I had him on almost every team. Lots of wins, lots of saves. Um, very useful across the board. Uh, have a Chad Green, nine dollar player. You can't make this stuff up. I, I, you know, I was high on Chad Green. I had him yeah. on every team. Uh, so those guys were good. Those relief pitchers more valuable than you think. Well, who had who had the most strikeouts for a relief pitcher this year? Was it Karen Check? No, no, no way. Rafael no. Iglesias. Oh, Glacius? yeah. Okay, Iglesias. Yeah. Was yeah, I'm sorry. So sorry. Good. It, was, it was Hendricks. Hendricks. Iglesias. And then who was number three? Not Diaz, was it? Paul Seawald. Oh, is it real? 104 oh, yeah. strikeouts on the season. So 306 year old. That's a name, that's a name to consider whip, for next year. Paul 10 Seawald. wins and 11 saves, which is almost like a 2020 player, isn't it? 10 wins and 11 saves? You know, he's he's the Chad Green of next year. If he's not the closer, because he, he's the high leverage guy, and that's the way they use it in Seattle, but he's the Chad Green guy. He's the guy who's going to get you a lot of win, vulture wins, a save here and there. He's going to get you tons of strikeouts, which is Do like a keep fifth him? starter. I own him in a, in a in a keeper league where I can keep 15 players, and I have him cheap. I mean, if, the, if you have him cheap, then, uh, like, like what I'm saying, he's going to yeah. be undervalued. He's going to be cheap to, to buy. Actually, the answer is you don't because you can right, pick him up for cheap. Get him, get him cheap. You get him throw for four or five yeah, bucks. Throw him, and then you can pick him cheap. You know, I want to – can you guys talk about real quick, and then we all got to go. I got I got my better halfway. Well, we have to settle some board bets first before you go. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, you know, do, do your thing first. Uh, no, no, go ahead, because my wife literally just texted me with a question mark. <laughs> All right, uh, sure. Um, so uh, we have to settle some board bets. We, uh, we had, I have uh, a feeling I know what this is. This is, this is a little uh, self-congratulations on your part. Is that correct? Is that well, how you want to end the show? You want to well, end we, the show we, with a little pat on your own back? We we have to settle the score here. The all right, let's year, go ahead. Go ahead. Know. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, first of all, just to to tell uh, all the listeners because maybe they were following uh, uh, us uh, in terms of labor and tout. Unfortunately, did not win either. Uh, finished second to Frankie Stample in in tout. Uh, he had a great week, and so he dominated me that last week. So he won. Congratulations to Frank. Uh, and labor, I was up. 
Thursday at 3 p.m. with three days to go, I was up by two points. And, you know, uh, some guy got a steal for Chandler, and and uh, I didn't get another win. And, you know, and as, I, felt, as I actually as felt a, a yeah. tight as a drum, huh? Tight as a drum. <laughs> tight as a drum. But the uh, board bets here. Um, uh, Ian came on uh, this year twice in the show already, and he had two $1 board bets. That's true. Yeah. The first one was. Who will finish ahead in TGFBI? We were in the same division, and yes, we were. I, I I didn't I didn't win the league, but I did finish ahead of you. You finished third, and I finished fourth. That's close. That's correct. Um, and it was pretty close, but yes, you did win that. You did win that. Indeed, I owe you a dollar. All right, very very big spender there. A dollar. Well, uh, I mean, I believe you. that's what we said. I, that is what more? we said. I give you eight. No, no, no. Ten. Venmo. Venmo. He wants Venmo. He collects nah, Venmo. I'll take a nothing. signed picture from George Washington. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, with, no. With, with, no. No way. <laughs> Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> the other board bet, which I'm more proud of, actually, is uh, J.D. Martinez versus mm-hmm. Mondesi. Straight yep. up, I said Roto value. I'm taking J.D. Martinez. I, you- this is true. Versus this Mondesi, is, and yep. you took Mondesi. Uh, can you tell me, by the way, uh, uh, who led the majors in doubles? There's actually four people tied with 42. Jamer Candelario. Candelario, yes. I would think is yes. on that list. Yes. Um, 42. I'm going to say, because you're talking about it right now, J.D. Martinez. J.D. Martinez. Sure, yeah. right. Um, and that's I, I got two of them. Ruvain, yeah. any, any guesses? Um, I'm going to guess two guys, and they're probably pretty close. Bryce Harper, he had a monster yes, year, and Harper. we didn't even talk about him. And he had an MVP type season. So if you had him in fantasy, that'd be great. And another guy who I think um, I'm gonna I, you have to think of people who, who get a lot Vlad. of hits. So you think Joey Votto, you think a guy like Whit Merrifield, someone like that. Otani, maybe Whit maybe. Whit Merrifield. Whit ah, Merrifield played 162 games. That'll do the trick. Tommy Edmond, 41. Um, so yeah, it, it, uh, those are the guys, but anyways, uh, yeah, uh, again, uh, it's the risk, uh, more than anything, uh, you know, I, I listen, but going to the season, I thought, uh, Martinez was bad at $25 player. I thought Mondesi was bad at $20 player. So I said, okay, let's, let's take a $5 overage for even money. Um, it, obviously we didn't come close. Uh, Martinez was the clear, clear winner. So that's uh, $2 into my favor. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. It's the end of the year. I got to do board bets. Are you still on? It happens. Oh, I'm here. Oh, yeah, I'm here. <laughs> it, it, it happens. <laughs> All right. Good. Hey, Ariel, I give you I give you lots of credit. You uh, won both of those bets. The GDD one is more impressive, if you think about it. It's It, it was good. Um, I, I'm happy with my season uh, overall, even losing those two, $2. I'm still very happy with the way the season went. It will be a memorable year. Uh, and most importantly, it was a lot of fun. And uh, I, I got to spend time with a lot of friends, in, of which I include you, Ariel. And you too, Ruvain. I don't talk to you nearly as much as I speak to Ariel on the phone. And I certainly don't do impressions of you nearly as much as I do impressions of Ariel. But uh, it, was a, it was a really great season. And, uh, and, and thanks. I, I, I must say, I learned a lot from losing last year in Tower Wars. It, was, it may have been one of those situations where you lose the battle to win the war. Because I feel a much... The... the, the the six eh, was it six weeks maybe three weeks that we really dug into this auction value conversation so that by the time i got to that ale labor like that's where i want it i wanted it at the auction 
I won that league at the auction. And I made some good moves over the course of the season that certainly helped. Picked up some guys like Carlos Hernandez, uh, made some big trades where I traded Gregory Soto for uh, Max Kepler and Chris Flexen and a $13 Nick Anderson that I was able to trade back in. Um, but it was it was what happened at that auction. And this is what I would say. Preparation is really important. Like, really understand. So I, I do agree with you, Ariel. Really do understand where the value is going into next season as you get ready go. for your as you get ready for your drafts. And understand the players too. Ian, before you go, um, why don't you just plug uh, everything uh, that you do and uh, we'll, we'll get you out of here. Okay. Um, I do uh, Under the Radar is a show on the fantasy baseball, uh, fantasy athletic fantasy baseball podcast. And uh, typically it's Tuesdays. During the season, we do it weekly on Tuesdays. In the offseason, we're going to do it bi-weekly. It's myself and Derek Van Riper and Nando Defino, And the three of us have really a, a really good time every week um, doing the show. And I also do the dynasty rankings over at the Athletic, amongst the rest of my life. Which uh, so it's it's a lot of fun. Fantasy baseball is a, is a good thing, and uh, I'm grateful for it. There you go, uh, fantastic. Um, but before we send you off, uh, Ruvain, why don't you just plug your stuff? You can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where during the offseason I will continue to tweet about the injuries, their updates, how people are doing after surgery and everything like that. I do have an in-season, which is now over, article with Rotoballer regarding the injuries. And if you are there, we are going to first pitch Arizona. Me and Ariel, we're going to be having a live episode of Beat the Shift there. Have fun, guys. One last thing. I'm at IanCon4 on Twitter. Please don't follow me at IanCon. That's my actor uh Twitter follow and you don't want that. It's not going to help you. But Ian Confor, if you want to give a follow over there, I, I'll be talking about fantasy baseball. Definitely a good follow. Please do follow him. You can follow me at ATCNY. You can read my stuff over at uh, Fangraphs and at Rotoballer. Hey, the season ended, but for me, you know, I'm I'm the projections and value guy and risks, and so my work is just starting. I mean, my yes. my. My take the is the fun. off season, so I, I'm just gonna get started. I've already had two articles come out in the last week on on uh, Fangraph, so uh, check them all out. Uh, Ian, this was really a, a fantastic episode. I think we gave the listeners quite a lot of stuff to think about, to noodle. Whether you took my side, your side, a lot of stuff we agreed on, a lot of stuff it was just from the discussion they, they thought. So, really, thanks for coming on the show, and uh, you know, congratulations on a fantastic year, and uh, really appreciate it. Hey, it was my pleasure, Ruvain, and thank you again, Ruvain, because without you, my shoulder would still be hurting if you hadn't told me it was a sprained AC joint. So uh, my recommendation, become friends with Ruvain, because uh, he'll come in handy, I tell you. Or I, I take all insurances, all insurances. <laughs> <laughs> there you Thanks, go. Guys. It was fun. All it was fun. Right. Thanks. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, we'll be here uh, live from uh, Arizona. First pitch sponsored by, uh, presented by, I should say, Baseball HQ, uh, the wonderful guys there. So uh, we'll be back in a week for uh, an additional episode. We'll have Derek Cardi on the pod live hey. from Arizona. That's definitely a good, going to be a great chat. Uh, so uh, that's the story. We're done for this episode. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.